We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California. TJ, oh my goodness! Stunning phenomenon! Devontae deep! Oh my goodness! I don't believe it! A 30-foot on the top of the Just stop it already! All right, everyone. Welcome into another BuzzBeat podcast, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie Randall, and I'll be joined by Brian today. I totally forgot that Spencer was unable to join us. He is relaxing at the beach right now. I actually just came back from the beach a couple weekends ago. The weather was not great. Uh, It was overcast, and we kind of had to dodge in and out of the rain, run down to the beach, run back up because it was getting too cloudy. And then by the time I got back (laughs) up, it was actually sunny. Like, I I just hate those types of weathers, like, you know, at Florida or on the beach where, like, at any moment, a thunderstorm can come and uh, you got to pack everything up and go. Yeah, yeah, especially if, um, were you were you on the, like, beachfront or were you close to the beach or were you, like, you know, a few blocks off, too? No, we were on the beachfront, but still. Yeah, it's still, especially if you have a kid, you know, because I'm sure, like, that, that is just a mountain of things that must, you know, things that, like, occupy time, you know, for the kid on the beach. It's a little bit easier for me because it's just, like, I need, like, a chair and a bunch of sunscreen and like a million beers but other than that like i'm pretty like i'm pretty good i haven't been to the beach in like two years man i'm jealous spencer's actually at Baldhead island and um i feel confident saying that because he's actually put that location out on uh yeah. <laughs> social media so not parts unknown he's at Baldhead, which like that is one of the nicest most relaxing places in the state of north carolina to get to and um yeah i wish i was I wish I was there right now. I love that place. Yeah, I went to Myrtle where people there just have all this confidence in the world. They just, you know, they're they're, they're just some like people that should not be showing their stomach are. They're just out and about. Yeah. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's great for people watching. One of the, oh my, it really is. Yeah, one time in, one time in college, I was there with some, I went to Myrtle Beach with some friends for a, uh, for a concert. We were very broke. So we stayed at the, uh, the Koa, like the campgrounds area. Okay. And oh my God, the people watching there was uh, like, I like, we still joke about like some of the people, it was like 10 years ago, you know, that, that we saw this thing. And uh, yeah, it was, it was quite the scene. Um, I mean, you're always going to have an experience if you, if you go there, if you go to Myrtle, you know? Um, but, but yeah, bald head is not Baldhead in so many ways is not uh, not Myrtle Beach. Right, right. Yeah. Have you heard about this? Uh, I'm sure you have. The the Vulgaris story in Dallas Mavericks front office. Like how crazy. Like I did not realize that that guy had that much say within his organization. Like I thought he was just like this, you know, quantitative like research yeah. guy. And, yeah, um, you, you, you bring him in. So in theory, you think he's like another voice. And, you know, it's like he's there to give you the sort of like the the, – the, the macro stats on any decision that you mm-hmm. might make, but he's mm-hmm. not like, yeah, you wouldn't think of him as like you know, the, the story by Tim Cato and Sam Amick and the athletic, which was very well reported and was well done. Uh, certainly paints uh, Bob Volgaris as like the number two guy in yeah, the Dallas yeah. front office. And I, I bet at this point, I'm sure everyone's read it, but just a guy that has gone against 
other front office types has very bizarrely during the 2020 draft, just iced out all of Dallas's scouting entire scouting department. So he could make the first two picks, which like, you know, Josh Green and Tyrell Terry are like decent prospects, but like uh, the setup for that almost feels like a whole other story that just like, you know, he was there in person and everyone else digitally like yeah, wasn't yeah. able to, you're like, Whoa, that's a whole other <laughs> thing going on there. Like, damn, man. Um, and most concerning if you're a Dallas fan and the story said like, look, none of this is like beyond repair and you know, Luca's going to sign the max extension, but just yeah. dude, it, like it seems like he and Luca, that's literally how the story starts mm-hmm. that, that Bob Volgaris and Luka Doncic, you know, an executive who made a lot of money as a sports gambler and like, you know, the greatest prospect, one of the greatest prospects since LeBron James um, are maybe not quite on the same page. Yeah. If the, if that is the case, you know, if it is really like that, I mean, like if you either have to mend it quickly or Bob Volcaris has got to go work for another NBA team, <laughs> like, you know, it's just like, you can't like the only thing that can't happen in the NBA is like you get a franchise type cornerstone like that. And, and you got to make him just, happy. You got to make him happy. And like to be, and it's one thing if you're like, yeah, you know, the team success just isn't there. And, you know, he feels a calling to go back to his hometown or whatever. But it's like, if he's being actively, you know, rubbed the wrong way by someone else, and it's like you need to like coddle these guys or whatever. But it's like, if, if they're saying like, I have a problem with this person, um, that's a huge issue. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I wish there had been, I wish Volgaris had commented in the story. I would have been fascinated to know sort of like his slant on things. Like, why did you do some of this stuff uh, specifically towards like the 2020 drafts? But we'll see. Uh, I get the feeling like they'll, they'll, they should be able to mend fences, but like Luca's not going anywhere, no. man. Come on. Like yeah. it, it, this is, he's going to sign a, a contract for, <laughs> for $200 million this off season. Yeah. Like I, it's, I, I'd uh, sign that contract too, regardless of what's going on behind yeah, the scenes. Uh, yeah. You could have an entire, you could have 13 Bob Volgaris's. <laughs> I would still, still sign that. But yeah, that, that was the main thing was that it, it seemed wild. It seemed like a bad situation. But the upshot, too, was like, look, they have this incredible star. Some in the organization are doing a good job being flexible flexible around him, you know, i.e. Rick Carlisle, sort of like, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. backing off as being like a guy that wants to call a play on every possession and wants to let, you know, Luca cook and spread, pick, and roll. And, like, to Volgaris' credit, if you want to, like, give him any, you know, a little bit of credit here, him sort of, like, coming to Cuban and Carlisle with this, the thought of a spread pick and roll offense around Luka Doncic, like, yes, of course. Like that's like, that is a good idea. And I mean, it's like, you need to be a genius to know that, you know, at least his, the, like that vision is, is, is like what Dallas should be aiming for. And if in fact, like that dude has been like dictating rotate, like Brick Carlisle's yeah. lineups and rotations, that was wild. That's weird. Um, and I'd like to know more about, I'd like to know more of the specifics about that. Let me just leave it at that. Like, I, I don't question the reporting at all, you know, but I would like to know exactly, like, is he going to Rick Carlisle with the spreadsheet and being like, here, do this. Like, you know, it, I, I just would like to know how much if say, or sort of like influence he was actually having, was it every so often? Was it every game? You know what? I just would like to know more. That story was fascinating. I'd like to know more information about a bunch of different stuff in it though. Yeah. And I think for the most part, you could probably take it as fact. Um, there's probably a little bit in between. Obviously there's Mark Cuban has come out and, and denied a lot of it, which is, you know, understandable or I guess expected, I guess you could say. But the biggest thing to me when I read that story was surrounded with Luca, like you have this guy in your organization, you've got to do everything you can to make him happy. And like you're mentioning, if Volgaris is not seeing eye to eye with Luca, it's it's not Luca that's shown the door, it's Volgaris that's shown <laughs> yeah. the door there. Yeah, yeah. But to me, it, it's, it still kind of surprises me how much say he has had within this organization, whether it's with rotations, whether it's with personnel decisions. Obviously, he's, he was brought in there for a little bit of that, but definitely not, you know, who should be starting, who should be, you know, coming off the bench yeah. and all that stuff. So, yeah. All right. Let's get into this. But before we get into this, I always like to shout out our newest members of the Buy Me a Coffee site, Brian and Sam, not our co-host, Brian, but a, a different Brian and Sam. <laughs> Are our two newest members since our last podcast, 
And uh, you guys will actually have access to a new video podcast this Friday that we are releasing on Isaiah Jackson. Uh, obviously, it's a conversation, but you will also get clips of him. Again, it's exclusive to not only Brian and Sam, but to all our supporters on that site. And then if you want to go into the episode notes to, to look at that link, you can just click on it and learn more about the site. Yeah. All right. For the next two, three, four, five weeks uh, with the podcast here, we're going to be breaking down some draft prospects, typically around three prospects per episode. Uh, we want to dive deep into them, but obviously we've still got to spend time for all three. The first one that we're going to get into, Zaire Williams out of Stanford, freshman, 19 years old, a wing, 6'8", 185 pounds. Uh, just to kind of give you guys some you know, counting stats here, uh, he averaged 10.7 points, 4.6 rebounds, and 2.2 assists, shot 37.4% from the field, 29.1 from behind the arc, and 79.6 from the free throw line. Now, Again, I am not a draft connoisseur guru like Brian is. I've watched a couple of highlight videos on Zaire. I've read up on him a little bit uh, recently uh, as I've had to do this for the podcast. And I've come away with some positives, obviously, and some minuses with this guy. I will not be coming out with the big board just because I'm I'm not going to look into that many prospects. But he feels like a guy that, you know, could go anywhere as high as maybe seven or eight, but he can also probably drop, you know, lower in the teens. We will see when the draft comes around. Offensively, uh, he's a lengthy, lanky athlete who does a good job of creating space with his sidesteps and his step backs. I, I feel like because he is so long, he is able to create that space. And because he's so long, he's also to shoot over, you know, any kind of opponent that comes his way. I think that his shot it's pretty consistent up and down. Obviously, the shot selection at Stanford was really the biggest issue when it comes to a shot. I don't think his mechanics by any means are an issue. Uh, he loves to dribble the ball. So you, you, give, you give him the ball, he's going to dribble, try to score off the bounce. Uh, he was actually 33.7% off the dribble this past year. You know, his handle will try to get him to places. He moves more east-west to me than he does north-south. When I look at his handle, I don't think it's the tightest. It looks a little bit loose. It can get a little high, get a little wide. In terms of going east-west, he does have that sidestep. One thing I think that's an underrated aspect of this guy's game on the offensive side, Brian, is his ability to pass the ball. When you look at his profile overall, you see this guy that wants to go hunt for shots and, and get shots, but... He can pass out of the pick and roll, and, and he can actually fit it into tight spaces. So when I was watching these videos and and seeing some of these passes that he makes, it's almost like he was passing the ball before the you know the roller or the cutter was even expecting it, and then right when the guy would turn around, it would be right there, you know, in a perfect place. So offensively, that's kind of how I view this guy. Defensively. He's skinny, um, but his length allows him to kind of be disruptive on that end. Just like he can shoot over opponents, he can also gain ground on opponents with, you know, closeouts and block shots and stuff like that. But again, he's not that, that not that strong. And I think that's a, a thing that's going to be a common theme with him is like, he doesn't want contact to me. <clears throat> yeah. A uh, couple things to add on here with Zaire, just incredibly tall, long rangy wing prospect, pretty good leaper. The lack of strength is just is uh, so apparent with him. I think l last week on the pod, I talked about Jaden Springer from Tennessee, another mm -hmm. one and done, you know, guard wing that's going to end up maybe being around the same range as Zaire Williams, much shorter, uh, not nearly as long, but functionally very, very strong. Well, Zaire Williams is the opposite of that. Also not very flexible, like stiff. Um, but we'll just get into a couple other things here. Uh, 6'11 wingspan. So he is very, very long. And obviously you see that someone is defense and we'll touch on that in a second, but his release point on his jump shot is so is high. He's got one of the prettiest shots in the entire class. Um, this entire draft class, really high release. You know, it looks almost impossible to block or to really bother it when he's got it going. That pull-up, too, is is pretty darn good. That's probably, like, the best aspect of his offensive game. But with that jumper, you know, one motion, he gets it off, 
He's on balance. The shooting numbers at Stanford weren't great, obviously. Just 43% on twos, 29% on threes, 43% effective shooting overall. Not great, but 80% at the line on only like 50 attempts. But we know the importance of that as an indicator and a measurement of, of some type of skill. I buy him becoming a better shooter in the NBA. I buy him becoming stronger because he has to. Um, But we'll talk about sort of like how much of a limiting factor that lack of strength is for him. It should be noted too, just like Zaire came into the season as a probably projected as like a top seven or eight pick. He had a tough season. Um, The numbers are tricky to evaluate. Zaire is a prospect that demands film work. I've seen probably... He played 20 games this season. I've, I've seen probably seven or eight, maybe 10 of his games now. But it's important to remember he missed time because of an injury. He got into a bicycle accident, and there was some, some, some time missed because of personal time. He had some deaths in the family, too. It was taking place during COVID. You know, there wasn't much of an offseason. But so all of that gets baked into this cake and sort of, I think, factors into why his numbers don't look so good. But it is a little discouraging to see sort of like how stiff – and uh, weak he is on both sides of the basketball. He's 19. He'll turn 20 in September. So he's basically like a full year older than Jaden Springer. Um, that's a little bit older for a one and done um, and for a guy that, that needs still a fair amount of development. But I'm not like I'm not real worried about that. Richie, you mentioned the space creation, that step back game. That's pretty good. You, know, you can really create a lot of space with that step back move. I've got this as a note. You brought it up too. But because he's so long, when he does those little hop steps or those slides in another mm-hmm. direction off that, off the, uh, the, you know, the sort of like step back crossover dribble, he really does create separation. He can create rhythm off that and get to a shot. I think there's some decent versatility in terms of his like pull-up shooting too. You, know, you see him do the snake pick and rolls and get to his pull-ups, the spot up pull-ups, some of the the jail dribble pull-ups. Like there is some of that. And of course, like his release is just so pretty, so effortless. Um, it's maybe a, a little slow. And I've seen uh, Polar on Twitter talk about this a little bit. And he's far more advanced in talking about sort of like biomechanics more so than I am. Like uh, I'm not a shot doctor and, and Polar is a, is just a genius, but sort of like maybe because Zaire perhaps having smaller hands that messes with his transfer up a little bit and makes it take a, it makes it a little bit slower. So perhaps that's a little bit of an issue, but the shot is pretty um, and in that high release point is, is certainly an advantage to his, um, there's nothing going to the rim uh, in the half court off of his dribble. Um, that's due to a handle that's really not that good. And, of course, that lack of strength, which will just constantly is an issue for him. Guys can get into his dribble. Uh, he's too high. He's too stiff. He can't get into gaps. They're able to knock him off his spots. He's just not as developed there with his handle as he is with his passing craft, which you sort of brought up. And there's just sort of like a lack of burst, too. So, he was only 26 of 49 at the rim overall with half of those makes coming assisted, half being unassisted. Um, he shot uh, yeah, 54% at the rim in the half court on non-posted attempts. According to Synergy, 10 dunks this year. He actually has like a pretty good bounce. This ver- like he's got like a little vertical, like a, a decent vertical lift. Like his issues finishing – um, have more to do with him getting from like A to B, B being like the rim or the restricted area than they do with like, yo, does he have like, does he have like the touch or does he have the length or, or like the, the balance to get up there? Like he has that stuff. He's just got to improve. He's just got to develop physically and, and really tighten up that that handle. I think his touch on floaters and runners is pretty good too. Also with that high release that just comes, that just comes silky smooth off of, uh, off of his hands, off of his fingers. Let's talk a little bit about his movement. So when Richie, when you've watched some film on him, how have you thought, like how, what have you, what have your impressions been just in terms of like Zaire's movement, like how he's moved around the court? Do you have any sort of like thoughts on that? If you're talking about off ball, I really haven't watched enough to, to say gotcha. enough about off yeah. ball. Because I, I, I watch a lot of video clips of this guy, and he loves to handle the ball and loves to create yeah. off the bounce. So Yeah, and, and I think it's good that he got those reps, right? Like Stanford runs a lot of continuity ball screen. And I don't think Jared Haas is generally a pretty good coach. I don't think he used Zaire perfectly well. Uh, this season necessarily. And, and Zaire and some of those continuity sets – 
was a sort of like an off ball mover and cutter, but he got some pick and roll reps out of, out of that stuff as well. And Stanford also runs like pistol 21 action and Zaya. So Zaya was able to get some of those reps, but in terms of his movement, like I think he moves well laterally on the basketball, but changing directions, not great. Um, you know, curling around screens when Stanford goes to some of their motion looks, I actually think he looks pretty good there. Like there's some, there's, there are some possessions in some of these games where he curls us, you know, an empty side pin down. And he's able to actually like get into the lane that way or, or catch and get to his jumper. So sometimes I thought the movement was pretty good for a player. His, his, like his height and his length thought the movement was, was decent. Other times I just got worried this season watching him play, like just didn't look right. Physically um, stiff, awkward, occasionally uncomfortable in a stance. I think we see that mostly sort of like with his defense, but it came out with his, you know, when, when handling the basketball a little bit as well. Um, so I worry a little bit about his movement, but if he can get stronger, if you trust sort of like your physio department, you know, in terms of your player development department, then, then you really could have something in terms of a nice development piece and a guy that could really be like a, you know, like a three and D wing with a, with a pretty shot that actually has some secondary creation, right. Can run a swing, pick and roll, can run secondary action, can run Chicago action, whatever. Yeah, I also wonder, like, if, you know, I don't know much about the offense of Stanford or the personnel of Stanford, but I also wonder if he was placed into this role of being the guy or being the man, and maybe he did take some shots that he shouldn't have, or he was placed in a role where he was strictly, not strictly, but prominently, you know, used on the ball. So it's kind of hard to see maybe how he would do off ball or, or whatever it may be. So I'm, I'm kind of yeah. struggling to figure out, is this guy an on ball guy, an off ball guy, you know, kind of a combination of both. That's, that's kind of where I'm kind of, you know, struggling to figure out where he fits offensively. I think because of the handle right now, he is at most a secondary guy, which is, a, which is like, okay, but, but that can give you some, some secondary pick and roll and some secondary playmaking, right? In, in terms of the, the passing, like he has good vision. He sees the floor. He sees cutters. I think so he had some pretty nice flashes this season. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of pick and roll passing, Richie, you mentioned like him being able to leverage that pull-up gravity along with his height. So that he's he's six eight, he can see him pass over. There are different windows he can access, right, because of his size. But he can also like throw a pretty nice pocket pass too. Like he's got some ability to to do some of that stuff. I don't think he necessarily has like great feel in terms of passing because of that. It's slower. It's more deliberate. I think he forces some awkward passing, some awkward passes. That said, I do think like the more concerning turnovers with him come with his handle, not with yeah, like right, right. sort of like not with him trying to like like push balls into windows that that sort of like obviously aren't there, even though like that is, I mean, I, I think that's an issue with him too, but, but I'm more concerned with like the, the self-creation turnovers. It would also help if he was a little bit better using his left hand to pass. I feel like he often has to come back to his right hand and that opens him up for steals and deflections. But yeah, I think he can get there as a secondary creator. Uh, assuming the pull-up shot comes along and aided by his height, right? And it's good that he got those pick and roll reps. We talked about that, but he's going to have to improve his handle and, and, and improve that, the, 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 the sort of like the pick and roll passing decision maker. And then, yeah, like the strength is one of those things too. Like he's going to have to get better at finishing through contact. He's going to have to be able to be better uh, finishing around the rim. Again, I like his touch on floaters and runners. But uh, if he absorbs any sort of contact, like that just throw, like it, he's almost rendered like useless. You know what I mean? And it just completely knocks him off of his line. And he throws up some pretty tough looking shots on some of those possessions. And then defensively, uh, again, I hate to miss like the sixth time I've brought this up, but just like the, you know, like his lack of strength is a, is sort of an issue for him, but because of his length, he can really bother on closeouts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think he can be a reliable team defender as a guy that's, you know, reading passing lanes, making the right rotations, has some like weak side rim protection that he can bring, you know, rotate over from help side, help with the basket. He can do some of that. Like there's some, there's some event creation for him as a defender, even if the stocks numbers were like, okay, this year, you know, 2.2% block rate, 
1.7% steal rate. You know, those are okay, not great. You would think someone with his length, you'd maybe like to see a, see a little bit more. But I think for the most part, you know, his on-ball defense against multiple position types looks pretty good, you know, even laterally against smaller ball handlers. Uh, of course, some of those smaller, twitchier guys were able to take him, uh, you know, drive him off the dribble this season. Pick and roll defense. This is the strength issue. You know, he just gets stuck on screens and then just dies. And he's just not able to get back into the play. Like, he's going to have to get way better there. He has too much defensive upside to be that poor guarding the ball in, in pick and roll at times. But again, just improve improve the strength. There are other possessions, too. He looks very good on the basketball. Like I said, he can move well laterally. He, there are sometimes he is able to get over screens and look to bother a shot or a pass and I like the highlights for him defensively are, are pretty impressive. I think he's going to have to just get more flexible, you know, be less stiff and, and, and get stronger so that he's able to sort of like fight through some of these screens uh, a little bit more. I think what it comes down to, I mean, I don't know if it's a skill, but the swing aspect of him is strength. I think a lot of his deficiencies keep coming back to strength. Like you mentioned, getting hung up on screens, being contact adverse at the rim, not being able to move north-south with the ball in his hands because he gets knocked off his path. You know, he is disruptive on the defensive side when it comes to off-ball stuff, like jumping passing lanes and deflections and steals, but that only goes so much. you got to be disruptive on the ball as well with your strength, and uh, his length will take him a long way. It will, it really will, but I think the strength aspect of this it really comes back to that. And I think if you can get that kind of corrected in his first couple of years, I think a lot of these things will start to take off. The one thing that I'm just, he, out of the three players that we're talking about today, and maybe I'm wrong, there is more variance to me in the way that I see his floor and ceiling than I do these other two guys that we're about to talk about. Maybe that's just my personal opinion, but like I can see this guy becoming you know, a top eight player from this draft, but I can also see this guy not really developing into the way that he's supposed to. I, I, that's just my opinion. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, we, there was one time in the the Buzzbeat Slack a couple months ago I mentioned this. Like There are a lot of wings that I like in this range, and like if you want to take... Like taking um, Zaire is a guy that I really had circled as like a prospect for the Hornets if they've made the playoffs like a little bit later. But I still think you can justify him with a late lottery or even a top 10 pick. Like he is that much ability because of that shot, because of the defense, because of the length. Um, and some of his deficiencies are correctable, mostly like the strength and just like a flexibility yeah. standpoint. Like he's got to get better there. Um, you can do that. It's just going to take time and, and, and work and a process. So, um, but because he has those issues too, it's like, yes, that he's, he's limited in ways for now that, that are a little bit of a concern, but I still really like Zaire overall as a prospect. I don't think he's who Charlotte will, will go with at 11, but I wouldn't be crying if they did it. I think he's, I think he's a pretty strong prospect. Strong as in uh, physically strong. Yeah. Not physically (laughs) strong. I just think there's some like, I think with Zaire, sometimes we, we tend to overthink it a little yeah. bit. Like he, his length, his shooting profile, his, his flashes as a passer, uh, the defensive upside, it's like put it together. He sort of is like the proto wing in a lot of ways, assuming some of these other things come along, right? Specifically like the, the improvement in strength, just like the improvement physically overall, and, and obviously like the handle getting a little bit better too. Yeah, one common theme between three of these players that we're talking about today is just the lack of physicality, the lack of strength in in some sort of way with these guys. So let's go ahead and get on with Kai Jones. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, Kai Jones next up on the docket here for us. Uh, the oldest of the prospects that we're going to discuss today. Um, sophomore at Texas who really had a really had a breakout season um, for Shaka Smart in, in Texas this year. Uh, super versatile player. One of the premier, I think, like, what-if players in this class because his flashes are just, they're so, so good. Uh, 6'11", long, tall, but he's just an incredible mover, right? Like, he moves like a wing. Like, he's so smooth. He laterally, he's quick. Mm-hmm. Um, hips, ankles, like, all of that stuff is really, really good. Like, it's it's freaky just how well, like, what he's able to do in space, like, in the open court. He just, he moves like a wing, at like a 6'11 wing in a lot of ways. Um, he already turned 20. I believe he'll be 21 in January, so just to have that on the uh, the radar, I guess technically you're see if you see him, he's going to be listed as like a four or a five uh, defensively, and we can get more into this in a little bit. But you know, I have real questions for him defensively as a as a center, really where he is as like a rotation center and a, and a guy that's just routinely out of position, but in terms of like, what is good for Kai Jones? I think it's really nice to start with the offense. I feel good about his shot translating, like good shooting numbers, uh, good indicators. The ball comes out of his hands cleanly, good wrist snap, uh, build of a load built. There's a bit of a load up with the basketball, but you know, catch reset launch. Like for the most part, I think it looks pretty good. Um, he shot 38% on threes this year, 13 of 34. That maybe doesn't seem, you know, too crazy, but was just seven of 24 his freshman year. So you can see he made, in terms of volume and in terms of uh, percentage, you know, he jumped for his career 20 of 58 on threes, just a little under 35% and about 68% career free throw shooter. But that jumped up this season to uh, about 69%. But he has a guy that can really finish around the rim because of his length. But uh, some of his, his like shooting ability too, like it's not just pure catch and shoot. Like he has some pull up 30% of his threes that he made this season were unassisted. So he has some shot creation and, and that versatility is, is interesting. The pull up twos where he attacks a closeout, you know, one, you know, shot fake one to two dribbles into his pull up too, but he's even got a little step back mid range game, um, pick and pop threes, grabbing goes that he, you know, he catches a rebound and he just starts flying up the court with the basketball. And it's just, you know, it's just, <laughs> here comes Kai Jones, just, you know, these just limbs just flying at you in full speed with the basketball, but just his skill, his offensive skill is, is really, really compelling for a guy that's that size that moves that well and can shoot too has some post-up game, um, you know, some face-up isolation game. That's sort of intriguing, but also because of a lack of strength and sort of like clear-cut, determined moves. I think that stuff limits him a little bit. He gets knocked off his spots. You know, he can't fully rotate or spin through contact. I think that's something that uh, you see a lot with him on film. And so because of that, he settles for bad passes or he settles for tough fadeaways. Um, But he did, he shot a great number this year from the field in general. He got to the line a lot. 52% free throw attempt rate. So like he's got the ability to just like make plays, make an impact for himself offensively. And then two things I want to touch on before, before I turn it over to you and see how you feel about Kai Mm -hmm. small thing that I'll start with first. I think he's an underrated cutter. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to mention that. I was going to mention that. Yeah. I think he is. I think he is like very sneakily one of the better cutters, front court cutters in this draft. Um, I actually think Raekwon Gray from Florida State is as well, but Raekwon Gray cannot finish above the rim like Kai Jones, who had 46 dunks this season as well. It's not too shabby, but just like those cut baskets that Kai Jones gets, they're not just a byproduct of him like, you know, chilling in the dunker spot, right? And just catching a pass. Like sometimes it's him starting the possession out from 23 feet away on the weak side. Yeah, it's a 45 he cut, sees, yeah. 
Yeah, he sees some sort of like some some creation going along, and he'll just slide in front, behind, or in front of his defender and get into the lane. And then at that point, he's really tough to stop because it's, he's got a full head of steam. He's long. He can he can jump like, and he's he's a fluid athlete. But we talked about this. We've talked about this a lot this season with PJ Washington and with Miles Bridges. That one of the reasons why those guys are so intriguing as offensive pieces is because of their ability to sort of do so many different things out of uh, pick and roll or pick and pop, right? Like they can really threaten and be impact offensive players as screeners, which is like perfect around LaMelo ball right now. Miles can run his own pick and roll too. And he can get into DJ miles can basically do everything, but bridges ability to screen, take a switch into the post to roll and catch a lob to pick and pop or attack a closeout, like to do all of that stuff. And PJ can do it too. And I think Kai can also give you some of that. I think he projects out as a guy that can really be a big time offensive threat. Uh, if you put him with a, with a guard that can create advantage off the ball screen. So he can roll and dive as a vertical lob threat because of the form and shot versatility. You know, I think he can be a real piece on offense as a screener, let him make reads, you know, pop for jumpers, roll for rim touches, sort of depending on how teams are, are guarding that. I think some of the, like the, improvisational reads that he and LaMelo could, could team up on if he was in Charlotte uh, could be pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I don't think Texas necessarily like utilized him in that sense, but I think it's there. Uh, I think too often you saw him sort of like often stashed in the corner or, you know, on the wing or dunker spot spot or whatever. And um, like, I think there's more, there's ability for him to be like a real offensive threat as a guy that can screen and sort of just move to anywhere on the court after that. And I, and I think that's, that's enticing, especially if it was paired with, you know, guys like bridges and Washington that can do that as well. So that's where I'm at with him offensively before we get into defense and where some of my concerns are, what are your sort of general thoughts about Kai, at least starting with his offense? Yeah, the one word that I'll use to describe him on on both ends, but especially on offense, is just active. He's a very active player, and I was going to bring up the fact that he just doesn't stand around. He wants to cut. He wants to get into the paint, even though he lacks some physicality on the defensive side of the court. Like He's he's okay with making that weak side cut, uh, like you mentioned, and, and really going up with the trees and stuff like that. I think he would provide a, a rim runner, lob threat. Maybe to your point, Texas didn't use him in that way. I can't really speak to that, but like his athleticism, his profile, 6'11", this guy is going to be able to be that, that vertical spacer that I think you can use him in that way. He also will run the floor in transition. I think that's perfect for Charlotte. He does not mind running up and down the court with the ball, without the ball, and that's only going to work well within the Borrego system. I'm, I'm assuming they're going to use them or use that offense in the same way that we did last year. Offensively, to your point, I think his shot mechanics are, are fairly consistent. The one thing that I did note with his shot was that his lower body was more inconsistent than his upper body. He has the uh, tendency to kind of kick or kind of flail out his legs from time to time. Some players do that. I know that Allen Iverson did that all the time, not comparing this guy to Allen Iverson by any means, but like you can sometimes get away with that if your upper body is consistent. He does have a flat shot at times, Brian. It doesn't have the the biggest of arcs, and I do worry about that a little bit. Uh, he did shoot the ball, like you mentioned, 38% from behind the arc. So offensively, like the word that I will use is just active. He's an athlete. He's a lob threat. He's mobile. Like that's that. Those are the words that I would use to describe Kai Jones. Now, if you want to transition to the defensive side, I think you can use those words as well, but he lacks a lot of physicality on the defensive side of the court, especially in the post. Um, And I think that's going to be kind of a a conundrum here in in terms of what position does he play? I I think ideally you would want him to play the five, ideally. Like that's kind of where he should be headed. But physically, I, I don't think he's there yet. He will gamble a lot on the defensive side. I don't think, I think I read somewhere that he only has like five years of experience playing basketball. So he's kind of still understanding the positioning, team defense. He often wants to be the guy that that makes the steal and goes up in transition, but you can't do that all the time. So I'll pass it to you for defensive, you know, concerns, because I think that's where most of the concerns lie with this guy. Yeah, and just two quick numbers for him. Um, offensively shot 66% at the rim in the half court. And also 
Uh, 56% effective shooting on catch and shoots in the half court as well. 32 attempts, um, but 70th percentile nationally in terms of efficiency. His, his synergy page is pretty interesting. One point per possession on spot ups, one point, uh, two points per possession on cuts. And yeah, pretty good, pretty good, uh, you know, put back finisher as well. 10% offensive rebound rate, not a great defensive rebounder. Anyways, we'll slip right into <laughs> his defense. Cause again, I I like Kai Jones a lot as a prospect. The flashes are so interesting with his frame and his talent and his offensive skill. But some of the issues he has defensively right now, it's sort of like tough to just label him as like a center, right? Like he feels more like um, at times, I don't know, he feels, you know, more sort of like a, a stretch four and a half, you know, than, than, he, than he does like a, just a, a, you know, a pure sort of like rim protector, and uh, you know, middle screen setter for you on on offense. He's lost a lot on the defensive end. Yep. Uh, he moves very well. He's athletic, which helps. But he really struggles from a rotational standpoint. Um, constantly out of position. Again, the movement skills are good. That affords him some level of both individual defense and scheme versatility because he can do a lot of different stuff. But just that backline rim protection is is concerning. Again, out of position all the time, slow to react in a way that, you know, say someone like Evan Mobley, just boom, like instant reaction. Like, oh, I got to get over to this spot and block this shot. Um, Isaiah Jackson, I got to get to the spot and block the shot. I got to get here and contest real quickly. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're seeing that the same level of like processing in terms of that, you know, has some nice possessions when he floats around the paint, um, you know, able to pick up multiple guys and scramble situations or after a switch, which is kind of nice. Cause again, he moves well laterally and he's long. So just like in theory, he can guard a lot of positions that sort of gets to the, the sort of like, versatility at least in theory with with kai jones um he's just not present on every help opportunity um like getting you know i think um you know if his man is setting like a like a pin down screen for an off ball guard or whatever like kai's ability to sort of like be in that middle ground area you know as that guy's coming off maybe looking to curl or or get to a, a jumper like he's just not present on those types of possessions I do think some of this might get to sort of his experience, Richie, which you said, like he's not been playing basketball for that long. So I don't think this stuff comes naturally. Um, that's a little bit of a concern because it's like, well, well, how much can you teach? How much can you improve? Like what type of skill is this? Is this something you can inquire? You know, playing more basketball will definitely help, but will it ever get, it will ever get good enough that you can really trust this guy as someone that can, you know, be at least a partial anchor of a, of a defense. Like that's a real that's a real concern. Uh, and so I think that limits his potential as like a space playmaking five to an extent guys can just sort of also score over the top of him, which is sort of like gets back to the physicality issue you brought up. And then if you're playing him at the four, you know, if he's a guy that's also running around, you know, chasing guys around the screen, around the perimeter, like he can be good in the, some of the situations, but I feel like I've noticed him as a chase defender struggling, you know, step behind, gets caught on the screen, doesn't close down hard enough, like on a pin down switch or whatever. So I have some real red flags with him as a defender, but should also note with that length, with that athleticism, uh, he did finish his career at Texas, which was um, over 50 games with five and a half percent block rate, 2% steal rate. So some decent stocks numbers there. Um, although that block rate number isn't like, you know, anything, you know, too crazy for a guy that's, you know, six, you know, six eleven and can move and, and jump the way he can. So it, I have it, real concerns with him defensively. Yeah, it ain't Isaiah Jackson esque, right? No, no, it's not. <laughs> to almost thirteen percent this season oh, for, for Ijax. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the thing that I keep coming back to with Kai Jones. As I'm talking myself through this, I think going into the to the process of looking into these guys. I think I actually favored Zaire over Kai, but there's a part of me that wants to favor Kai over Zaire, just kind of talking about him. But I, I do wonder how much coaching can really get him up to speed, especially for a team like the Hornets in the position that they are. I'm assuming, well, I can't assume, but I assume if they draft a center or a 4.5, as you want to call him, which is probably more appropriate, do they, you know, go after a center in free agency? I would hope that they still would. 
Um, yeah. Or you could just yeah. draft two centers in the second round like we did last year. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I guess my, I, would, my, I wouldn't my, do that. Yeah. <laughs> my point is like how much you, you kind of mentioned this, how much of this can be corrected quickly by coaching or is it yeah. going to be more of a project for this guy? Because I see the intrigue on both sides of the ball. He's a very fluid, active player. And, he, and on the defensive side, he's he can guard out in space. Like, he, he can guard yeah. one through five out in space, like, side to side. He's active. and But once when it gets down low, there's no physicality. Uh, once when he's off ball, he gets lost at times and he gambles. I that's That's the big worrisome aspect of Kai Jones. Can it be coached? And if it can... Then it then it becomes one of those things where all of this stuff that we're talking about, for the most part, gets corrected. Yeah, I think it's just going to take time. So the issues that Charlotte had defensively around the basket this season, like yeah. you know, <laughs> you 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 can't expect. I don't think unless they got up to number two in the draft and they drafted Evan Mobley, you know, there's no cure all. I think someone like Isaiah Jackson out of Kentucky could could help you in a, in a variety of ways. I don't think uh, drafting Garuba is necessarily, you know, I don't think he's a five, but you would play him some at five and he's a good defender and has a chance to be one of the better defenders in this draft class. So he would help you some defensively. Like I don't see Kai Jones really coming in and, and making that much of a positive impact for you defensively, though. I would love to see what he would look like offensively with, with, um, with LaMelo ball, but I just don't, I don't know if he is the, uh, the guy for you in that regard. Um, with that, Richie, anything else to add on Kai Jones or should we add, should we move on to our third and final guy today? Let's go ahead and move on to Moses Moody. All right. Um, this is a very popular prospect and, and a guy that I really like in this draft class, Moses Moody, one and done wing out of, uh, Arkansas, you may remember him from uh, the stacked 2019-2020 Montverde, Montverde Academy team that also featured Kate Cunningham, who's projected to go number one in this draft, Scotty Barnes, who's projected to be a top 10 pick, Moses Moody projected to be a top 10 pick. Uh, the team also had Dayron Sharp, who's projected as a first-round pick after one season at UNC, that team also had Caleb Houston, who is set to be a lottery pick in 2022 and will be playing for Jawan Howard in Michigan next season. That is probably the greatest high school basketball team, if not of all time, probably at least since Muggsy Bogues was playing at Dunbar High School uh, about 40 years ago. So uh, Moody's been on the scene for a while now, just turned 19 uh, about two weeks ago, 6'6", 210, um, pretty well built. I think I actually think he kind of already has like an NBA type yeah. body just in terms of pretty thick in the chest, you know? I like that. And I think he'll get stronger too, which is which is interesting. Sort of like chisel up that frame um a little bit. Definitely has like a you know a plus wingspan. And this is this is probably part of the intrigue with him. Some places have Moses Moody at you know listed at six six, but with a seven foot wingspan. Uh, ESPN said a seven one wingspan during a broadcast. Uh, this system uh, or this season, pardon me. So that's interesting, right? That if he is that type of, if he has that type of length, that's, that's like pretty appealing. Some of the other athletic traits are like a little less appealing. Like he's not very quick. He's not that fast. Um, only 10 dunks this season. So not a big time leaper, not super quick off the court, um, but good motor, good footwork. So like, you know, it's not a complete negative defensive or, or athletically, but there are, uh, very much some concerns. Um, if you're looking about him, let's start with his defense. Why don't we do that? Um, I think this is where some of his sort of like limitations as an athlete can be an issue for him. 2% block rate, 1.6% steal rate. So like not, not necessarily great from a stocks perspective, but sort of in that same area we talked about with um, right there with Zaire Williams, actually almost identical on ball point of attack defense. You know, there are some issues here. Of course, his length helps, but didn't necessarily take the top opposing wing guarding out of Arkansas scheme. You know, I think he projects as like an okay defensive wing and that the length will certainly help. The motor will help, but I, but I think there are some issues in terms of his like on ball uh, guarding skills. Like, is he athletic? Is he quick enough to, to do that, to, to be that presence laterally guarding against the basketball? Um, 
team defense, solid decision maker, you know, good position, quick rotations, willing helper. He can read coverages, um, you know, guilty of ball watching. He'll miss some stuff for sure. And, and Zaire Williams also, you know, guilty of, of ball watching as a team defender as well. Good hands, fast and strong, willing to help. Uh, digging down as a, as a help defender. So I like some of, I like while I am concerned with him as athletically, I like enough of uh, his defensive profile in terms of his length, in terms of his hands and his motor, his ability to sort of like be smooth in terms of uh, reading coverages, ball watching less that I think he can be like, okay for you on that end, right? Be like a pretty solid, uh, a guy that, a guy that you can envision, being on the floor in a, in a postseason game, right? You know, that that type of guy that's not going to take anything away from your defense. He's not going to be a stopper. And, and maybe Charlotte's looking for someone that can really be a, a dog for them on the basketball. And that's not moody. But I do think he should be a, a should be a, a mostly fine defender. Interesting. I, I uh, When I was taking notes on Moody, again, not as much film to watch as you have. But when I, when I took notes defensively, I, I thought he was – you know, solid. I thought he was a disruption on ball. I think he smartly swipes, you know, at balls when he can and, and just, you know, rips it from opposing, you know, opposing players. I think his wingspan is huge, uh, whether it's contesting shots or just being a pest on the defensive side of the court. Uh, maybe I have a higher grade defensively, but by the same token, I guess I haven't watched as much off ball with him and, and stuff like that. So full games mm-hmm. have just not been something that I've watched with Moody. But yeah, defensively, that's really all I got. Like just, you know, I think he's solid. Yeah. Uh, maybe I have a higher grade on him. He's, he's disruptive on ball. I guess off ball is really where I've got to watch a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I think wingspan really helps him defensively. Offensively, I think his shooting form is, is very well balanced. Uh, he's very good at corner threes 19 of 30 63 percent from there he has a smooth up and down release i wouldn't really call him a um a movement shooter per se but he's more of like an off ball off screen shooter like he, he gets set i guess is what i'm saying he's not like a jj reddick curling off of screens and just catching it all in one motion. I also think he does a pretty good job as a, as a creator in the mid-range, meaning you know, he doesn't have the tightest of handles or like the best moves, but he can draw some defenders in. And he's an underrated passer, kind of like uh, Zaire Williams, where he can use his off-the-dribble stuff to, to draw in defenders and make that pass as well. So one last thing offensively, I think this is, is something that's also a Zaire Williams thing, does not finish well at the rim. He sometimes doesn't have a plan, Brian, and just kind of jumps off from weird angles or too far out and just leaps to try to make something happen at the rim. And a lot of times it just ends up, you know, with him kind of throwing up, uh, you know, a shot that just is, you know, ill-advised. So uh, that's the one thing that I did have offensively where I'm just a little bit concerned. Yeah. Um, and to be clear, uh, Moody's a guy that like, you know, he's not going to be... I. I don't think he'll be there at 11. Uh, there's been a fair amount of variance in terms of like where he's moved around in terms of mocks. You know, he had a tough showing during the NCAA tournament, even as like Arkansas won a couple of games, but some of the, ES- the draft express ESPN guys really like knocked his stock after that. I think too much. This is a guy that still could go, you know, could be a top six, seven pick in the draft or whatever. But when I think of Moody and you, you brought up a good, I want, I want to circle back because you brought up a good point too. Like the low stocks numbers don't tell the whole story about what he can do defensively. Although I am worried about his athleticism on that end of the court. But I, but I do think he's like a, again, I do think he's a pretty solid defender for his offense. Like he's going to need to shoot. He's going to need that jumper, that three point shot to land at a good clip. Um, if he makes threes, it sets everything else up. Right. And he's got good range, good volume this season, um, 36% on threes, 162 attempts. Most of that coming off the catch. He's a better shooter off the catch, but 90% of his threes this year were assisted, um, which is fine, but also maybe speaks to some of his limitations as an individual shot creator. Uh, 62% effective shooting on spot up, no dribble jumpers. So again, another good stat to focus on. Um, some other strong indicators, 81% from the free throw line, 40% on long twos. And if you're going back to his senior season at Montverde, 47% shooting threes that year, 82% from the line. So like 
there's a lot of reasons to sort of like buy him as like a spot up threat. I think the form is pretty solid with his shot, consistent motion, certainly mm-hmm. better off the catch, high release, smooth. If there's one knock, you know, maybe a little bit of a dip during his sort of like load and, and gather phase, it's not a huge deal. It's, you know, it's clearly something he uses to sort of like create a little bit of rhythm. Um, but you know, maybe that'll be a bit of an issue against NBA type length and, and athleticism and, and closeouts, um, movement shooter, some, some good, some bad, you know, shot ready coming off pin downs, nothing super advanced. Um, it would have been interesting if he could have played with like, you know, Mason Jones or Isaiah Joe or Isaiah Joe, who, you know, Joe considered coming back to Arkansas for his junior season and probably would have helped uh, Moody in a couple of different facets, both on and off the the basketball. You know, I think he'll have to become, you know, improve his screen usage. That's probably something you're going to want to see him in the, uh, the NBA in the context of the Hornets, you know, could you see him as a, you know, DHO shooter partner with PJ or miles. I think that's a little, a little interesting, but what happens if Moses Moody isn't like a, not like, not like an elite shooter, but like, what if he's just an average shooter? You know, what, what happens to his sort of like overall um, ceiling as a player? And that's maybe a little bit uh, of, of a concern. Now, can he offer you anything in terms of secondary creation? I think he can. Yeah. I think there are some good passing flashes, you know, you know, when he's able to get into gaps against the scrambled defense, Moody can pick guys out, live dribble drop passes to cutters. He can even throw guys open at times. Um, His handle is pretty good, but does he have enough sort of like explosive pop to like really separate from defenders, right? To get space in terms of like one-on-one shot creation. You know, we'll see how much of how much of like a true like advantage creator, advantage builder that, that Moses Moody can be. Um, but again, right now, you know, he needs that the three point jump shot to to really be like sort of like the jumping off point for the rest of his offense. But I think like his ancillary skills off the basketball are pretty good. Like he'll crash the offensive glass. Uh, he can be a good cutter, do these, these sort of like generic things that just keep an offense humming, you know. Uh, but I think his processing speed as a passer is pretty good. Um, and again, I think he can throw guys open at times. I think he can fit in some tough passes and just give you some secondary creation, sort of interesting. So yeah, I actually, I like Moody. I think there's, there are reasons to buy his jump shot. And because of that, that should open up all of these secondary sort of like benefits that he can offer a team. Right. I think of the three players that we talked about today, he's the guy that has the highest floor, I would say. I mean, obviously, he's he's one of those guys that is boring, I guess, if you want to call it. He's not he's not like a sexy pick like Kai Jones or Zaire Williams. I think you know what you're getting with this guy. He's going to come in and have that IQ feel for the game. His length is going to come in and, and be a big factor for him. And to your point, he can be a secondary creator. I think if you draft this guy to be a primary creator I, I think you're doing it wrong um I don't think you can expect that out of him at this point you know a, as a rookie but that I mean I don't know if it's a swing skill by any means but to your point like if his three-point shot starts to falter a little bit and if that doesn't really come online or it it wavers it comes and goes kind of almost like a, a Malik Monk like where his three-point shot never really translated outside of this past year what else is he going to offer because to me I, I would draft him if, he, if he's there at 11. And to your point. Oh, yeah. I yeah, would too. Right. Yeah. He's probably going to be gone by six, seven, eight, you know, whatever. Yeah. But he just, it just screams like a boring pick. And again, that's not, it's not a bad thing by any means. But what is the upside for this guy? You, you better be careful, Richie. The, uh, the, the, the Moody Mafia oh. uh, that exists in draft Twitter um, that I consider myself to be a part of, although not nearly one of its like most, uh, ardent uh supporters uh but but i I, i'm a i'm a believer but 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 yeah maybe i'm a little bit i don't really know i don't know where the consensus is necessarily on moody you know i think i'm generally higher than him maybe compared to i don't know about most but there are there's there's some percentage of people that are really following the draft that are a little more that see him as a top five guy in this draft um certainly with a drop from four to five beyond the you know, the Jalen Suggs, the Jalen Green range into, you know, Moody or Jonathan Kaminga at five and six or whatever. But I, I like Moody a good about. I think you can, I think the, the shot is, is bankable enough. Mm-hmm. 
and then with that with that wingspan and some of the the secondary sort of like tertiary skills that he can give you, yeah. And he, and he's young too. I mean, he, like he just he just turned nineteen May thirty first. So like you know he you've got a guy that could be a good development piece for you. Um, and hopefully the thought would be too like, can you get him a little more explosive athletically? Like can while also you know strengthening him up a little bit as well too. But again, that's going to come down to you know physio and player development and that type of stuff. I will join the Moses Moody Mafia just to avoid any kind of backlash of what I just yeah. said. I, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't mean the boring yeah. to come off as, as harsh. Yeah. But he, uh, you got you to gotta be careful, man. There are going to be people <laughs> with pitchforks and, uh, and you know, fire on a stick outside of the, the Randall house, yes. the Moody Mafia. Yeah. Yes. Any last thoughts or, or we want to wrap here? No, let's go ahead and wrap up. I mean, I think these are three good prospects. I think they're three guys that Charlotte should – uh, kick the can on at 11. I mean, if Moody's there, I think it's sort of like a, a maybe a no brainer of, of, of sorts, but I don't, I don't, I don't envision him being there at 11, assuming that's where Charlotte stays. Right. I mean, they could, they could, they could move up, but um, you know, none of these guys are going to salt. Like Charlotte has issues on the roster in terms of you know, rim protection, perimeter defense, I don't think there are any sort of like guarantees that these guys are going to help, but they offer you the opportunity to sort of like potentially, with some development, improve those aspects of, of of Charlotte's roster. So it's exciting. It's another way to add that this is a good tool to add another piece to the young core here. And yeah, to, to varying degrees of of excitement, I would say all three of these all three of these guys could potentially be be, be factors for the Hornets here. Yeah, and, and to your point, uh, the lottery is, I think, less than a week away now. So we'll figure out if they're drafting at 11 or they jump into the top four. I don't want to get hopes up uh, like we did last year. You know, I, I don't think that's going to repeat itself. So uh, let, let's just try to focus on these guys that are going to be in the 7 to 15 range. Now, I think that's probably yeah. where we're going to focus our efforts. Uh, but maybe things will change by next time we record. We will see. But... Thanks again, guys, for tuning in to another BuzzBeat. For Brian, I'm Richie. We will see you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.